0: Let's Talk Torah. Worry. I am Rabbi C. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and of course I will answer as many as I can, or or you can go to our special webpage, letstalktorah.net. You can send your questions over there, your comments, you can find the old shows, the new shows, You can sign up to any podcast you like to listen to, and you'll pick up Let's Talk Tour over there. It's really a beautiful website, and I suggest you check it out. The weather is amazing. It's warm. It feels just like summer, which seems to be happening in Michigan lately. Um, We go from winter straight into summer. I think we had two days of spring. I think spring is over. Maybe next week we'll see if it cools down, but I don't know. But it's gorgeous. The weather is beautiful. You should be outside enjoying the weather. Or you should be getting ready for the Shavuot holiday. Um, It is an interesting year uh, when it comes to the Shavuot holiday this year. And that's because um, the Shavuot holiday is Friday. So if you live in the land of Israel, you keep one day for every holiday. Passover, the first day is holiday. The next day is what we call Chalmai, the in-between days. Uh, Sukkot, same thing. The first day is a the holiday. Then you have the in-between days. Rosh Hashanah. You know, William Kippur is always that way. Shavuot, you keep one day the holiday, and that's it. Outside of the land of Israel, like in America, every holiday is... Two days. Now, basically, that goes back to the early days of the Jewish people where you relied, you didn't have a calendar, you relied on the court to declare when Rosh Chodesh, when the new month started, and then you knew how many days to count at a holiday. But because they didn't have their cell phones and, and emails and texting and everything else, you could only travel so far to get the message out of when the holiday started. So to be safe, you always kept two days. And eventually, you corrected the calendar when the messengers reached you. Now, obviously, today, we have a calendar. It should be no problem. But the Talmud says, we do not want to change um, the way things were. We call it, we keep the customs of our fathers. So you always keep two days. That means, if you live in the land of Israel, so you keep one day for the holiday. There's no such thing as a holiday two days in a row. You always have a break. You have one-day holiday whenever Sabbath comes out. But sometimes the first day of the holiday is on Friday, like this year. This year holiday is Friday. That means you're going straight from the holiday into the Sabbath. So you really have two days. Now, if you live again in America, the second day of the holiday is Sabbath. So it's really no difference. But if you're in the land of Israel, all of a sudden when you're used to having a one-day holiday and then you're back to regular— here you have one day holiday, and then you have the Sabbath, so everybody um has it the same, which means you got two days in a row where you just get to sit and relax. I have some children uh because again, it's an easy, long weekend, so I have two children that will be coming um from the East Coast, and they'll be with us for the holiday. But again, that means they'll come Thursday, and then you have Friday, and, which is a holiday, and then you have Sabbath, and they could travel back on Sunday. So it's like a real good opportunity, and certainly I appreciated that they will share the grandchildren. Well, only when they're happy. As soon as they cry, you give them back to their parents. Okay. And of course, before we go on, I would just like to remind everybody, I know you guys love the show, and I do need your help. We want the show to spread. we got to take care of our costs and expenses. So please go to my homepage, that Let's Talk um, Hit the Donate button. Um, leave a name. If you wish, give you a shout-out. If you don't want, we keep it anonymous. And uh, any donation is beautiful. We have different levels over there. And again, greatly appreciated. And in advance, I do thank you. So with the holiday of Shavuot upon us... We read one of the five megillas or megillot. We will be reading the story of Ruth or Root or Rus, right? However you want to pronounce it. So I figured, let me give a quick overview to the story. You know, some years we we spend more time, we get into more details. I want to give you a quick overview, and then there were just some points of the story that I thought would be great lessons for us to dwell on. But first things, let's get through the story. So we start with a family living in the land of Israel. Um, the mother is Naomi, her Nami, her husband is Avimelech, and he has two sons, uh, Machloin and Kilioin, and there is a hunger going on in the land of Israel. And this Avimelech was one of the leaders, a wealthy man, he was a leader, and for some reason, he decided he didn't want to be in the land of Israel when poor people are knocking on his door day and night. So he moved his entire family out to the fields of Moab. You're not allowed to leave the land of Israel. Uh, certainly, if you're in a leadership position and you should be taking care of people. But he did. So, Abimelech dies. His sons marry two Moavi girls. One is Rus and one is Arpa. They were converted, they weren't converted, they didn't convert in such a good way. This is debatable and not something we're gonna dive into right now. Ten years later, um Mahlon dies, Kilion dies, they have no children, we are left with Naomi, Ernami, Rus, Arpa, destitute. No money, no fields, no no animals, no flocks. They're dirt poor, no one to take care of them. It's time to go home. So Nami is ready to go back to the land of Israel. And really, her two Malvi daughters, daughter-in-laws, like, why hang out with her? She has nothing to offer them. She has no kids, right? So it's time for them to go back home. So Nami tells them, my daughters, I'm, you know, I love you dearly. You're, you've been wonderful daughter-in-laws. but it's And they actually were from a from the king's family. They were princesses. Go home. Go back home. You'll be wealthy. You'll be taken care of. You'll get remarried. Don't bother coming with me. I got nothing for you. At first, they both say they want to go back to Israel with Nami. But Nami convinces Arpa to go back. So Arpa hugs her and goes back. And, uh, and Rus says, I'm going back with you. I want to be Jewish. I want everything you have. And so, okay, once Nami sees that Rus truly wants to go back and become a convert, become Jewish, so she's quiet. So they go back. When they get back to town, remember, everybody, Jewish nation wasn't so big. When they see Nami come back, right, she is the talk of the town. She's the talk of the town because she left in a gilded carriage. She left wealthy, powerful, important. And now she's coming back, no husband, no sons, a convert for a daughter-in-law. And we're going to see there's some issues with her lineage and uh, this is the Nami that left, right? That's what happens when you leave Israel, when you're supposed to take care of people. This is what happens. And by the way, the name Nami means sweet. So they, the, the people are looking at her and saying, is this Nami? So Nami says, don't call me Nami, which means sweet. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. So, okay, so they find a place to live, Not clear where they live, obviously not back in the mansion. And um, it was the harvest season. So in the harvest season, the way it was in those days is poor people would go to the field. And when the farmer would be harvesting and cutting his stalks, the rule was if one or two two stalks fall, every time you give a cut to your bundle of uh, whatever grain you happen to be harvesting— so the poor people can pick it up. Now, the truth is they probably picked up more because one or two falling is probably normal that, you know, who knows how much fell each time. And the poor people are picking it up. Are they allowed? No. Did the farmers stop them? Probably not. Then there's something else. When they tie up the bundles, uh, when they're collecting all the bundles to bring it to the threshing area, if you forget a bundle behind you, the, again, the poor person can pick it up. So Nami finds a field, happens to be, even though we know, of course, nothing happens to be. She ends up by the field of a relative. The relative's name was Boaz. Boaz is a more common Israeli name nowadays. Uh, Boaz was a judge. He was a powerful man, and he is a cousin, or really a nephew, of Nami's husband, Avimelech. Boaz comes to the field, he sees this girl. Who is this girl? I mean, I guess you knew who everybody was in those days, right? Who's this girl? So, oh, this is a Moavi girl who is Nummy's daughter-in-law. Oh, Boaz calls her over and says, Okay, you know, we're we're related, and uh, don't let I'll make sure the boys don't bother you. Stay in my field. If you're ever thirsty, come to the tent, get something to drink. You need something to eat. There's always food here because you're taking care of my aunt. Very good. And he tells the harvesters, if this Rus gets in your way, no yelling at her, no bothering her. If she takes more than she's legally entitled to, I don't want you to say a word to her. Russ comes home that day with an armload, like a big bag full of grain. And Nami says, what? I mean, I know you're going to come home with something. How, how'd you manage this? And Rus tells her the story. So Rus, says, I'm sorry, Rus tells Nami the story. So Nami says, amazing. You don't realize he's a relative, very kind of him. You just hang out in his field. And so for the next couple of months during the harvest season between barley and grain and wheat and the spelt, whatever else they grew in those days, um, Rus comes home every day with what she's collected. When the harvest season is over, so Nubby says to Rus, you know, we got to get you married. It's time to get you married. This Boaz is a relative. He was also quite old. But again, in those days, it's really not the way they looked at things. The man being older, he could have uh, an army of wives. Nowadays, we have uh, one wife. But in those days, it was quite common and actually, this boss had lost his wife and his children had died. So now he says, You're going to marry him. How are we going to do this? So, again, in those days, you, you gathered up um, your grain, you threshed, you winnowed, and then you took all your grain. You wanted it to dry out in the fields until you're ready to pile it away in the silos. The problem was, you always had to worry about thieves. Right? Was if somebody's going to come to rob your field, they're not going to steal from you uh, while the grain is growing. Like, why do that? Wait till you do all the work. All the, the kernels are now packed away. Now steal the kernels because you've gotten uh, all the work was done for you. So it was quite common that the owners of the field would sleep in the field. Did they have a shotgun uh, next to them? Uh, I'm not sure probably, or whatever, whatever weapon they might use. So Boaz is going to sleep in the field. So Nami so Nomi says, you, Rus, you go to the field after everybody's left when it's dark. You go to sleep by his feet. And when he wakes up, he'll tell you what to do next. Okay? So Rus goes out to the field. She goes to sleep by Boaz's feet. Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night. He something's there, it's pitch black. Who is this? Is this some angel? What's going on? And Rus says, it is your maidservant, and you are a relative. So really, you have a command to redeem all the fields that my father-in-law sold. Because that happens to be this week's Torah portion, the Torah portion of uh, Bahar, that if a relative sells the family land... So the relatives are supposed to redeem the land. So Ruth says, first of all, you're supposed to redeem the land. You haven't redeemed the land yet. Second of all, since I am a relative, um, it's only fitting that you marry me. Now, this is not exactly what we call Yibom because it's not a brother of Machlon, but she is a relative, and it seems she had a right to put a condition to redeeming the fields. You want to redeem the fields, go right ahead but you only get the right to do that mitzvah, that command of redeeming the fields if you also marry me. So Boaz says, wow, you're so special. You could have been running around with the younger guys and you, you waited for me and, the fi- and, and you're giving me the opportunity to redeem the fields. It's really wonderful of you. But the truth is, there's somebody who's a closer relative. There's an uncle. And this uncle has the first dibs to redeem the fields, and I'll speak to him tomorrow. And if he if he wants, then he's gonna marry you. That's if you if you are connecting, redeeming the fields to marrying you, I have to give him the first option. If he says no, I'll do it. Russ goes back, tells Nummy what happened. Nummy says, Okay, you got nothing to worry about. Before the day is over, this will be taken care of. So sure enough, the next morning. Boaz goes to the city gates, I guess that's where the merchants hung out, that's where the court hung out, and Boaz sees the relative. Now, it is interesting, the Megillah does not tell us the relative's name. It refers to the relative as Almoni, so-and-so, because since he will choose not to do the mitzvah of redeeming the fields and marrying Rus', so uh, we don't mention his name. So Boaz calls him over and says, he has uh, 10 people there with him, like a court, and he says, you know, nobody redeemed the fields of Avimelech. You are the closest relative. Do you want the mitzvah? Or you want to give the mitzvah to me? So Avimelech says, I'll do it. I'm very happy to do this command. So Boaz says, very good, but there's a caveat. There's some strings attached. Yeah, what are the strings? The strings are you got to marry Rus. That Polonia Ammoni says I can't do. Why? Because this was a raging conversation argument going on within the Jewish people at this time. And that is the Torah says, a convert from Moab or Ammon, those were two neighboring nations, um, cannot, a man, cannot, even if he converts, everybody could convert, but he cannot marry into the Jewish people. He can marry other converts, but his descendants can never marry into the Jewish people. The debate was not on the men. the Debate was on the women. What about a lady from Moab or a lady from Ammon? If she converts, can somebody from the Jewish nation marry her? This was a raging debate. Um, and it's dependent on how you learn the verse, and it's also dependent on how you understand. It says, the verse actually tells us that since when the Jewish people were traveling in the desert, the people of Ammon and Moab didn't come out to greet them with bread and water, so they showed a lack of gratitude because the only reason they're alive, because the Amin and Moab come from Abraham's nephew, Lot. Lot was saved from Sodom and Gomorrah because of Abraham, and they all knew this, it was clear. And since... Lot's daughters did not teach their descendants that anybody from the family of Abraham, you have to show a, you have a debt of gratitude, since they didn't teach that to them. They lack this debt of gratitude. They do not deserve to marry the Jewish people. However, this concept that they should have brought out bread and water only applies to the men. Certainly in those days, women did not go out into the desert to bring food to people. Men went out into the desert to bring food to people. So Aminimov, don't go out and bring food. Therefore, um, the men cannot marry into the Jewish people, uh, but the women could. So Polony Amoni says, I know, Boaz, that you believe the law is that only men of Moav, um can't marry into the Jewish people. The women could. Very beautiful. And this Rus is a Movi girl, so you believe that she's allowed to marry into the Jewish nation. But what's going to happen in in a generation or two from now? What if they disagree with you? What if they want to change the law? Now what am I supposed to do? My descendants are up the creek because you made me marry this Movi girl. The law changed because this is an ongoing argument and I lose. I can't do it. So Boaz says, fine. I'll do it. Boaz then Goes to Rus, he marries her that night, and uh, Boaz dies the next day. But King David comes from Rus. So Boaz marries Rus, she becomes pregnant, and her grandson is King David. Great-grandson is King David. And that is the Megillah. As they say, that's the whole Megillah. So I wanted to talk a few points. I'm not sure how much time we have left. But let's, uh, let's try to bring out a few points that I think are, are, are worth mentioning. One is, Rus means song. The name Rus, when she converted, she takes the name Rus, which means song. King David comes from her. He sings Psalms. But that's three generations later. right? So her name represents what happens with her grandson. Very beautiful. But what does that have to do with Rus', right? So a very fascinating thought. When you look at the story of Rus', and we went through it fairly quickly, but if we investigate the story, if we investigate the story, she doesn't have a great life. She gets, she's, she gets married. She's poor. She's a princess. Husband dies. Goes back to the land of Israel. Lives destitute. Obviously, she was looked at as a second-class citizen. And in the end, and in the end, King David will come from her. How did she walk around? Did she walk around moping? Woe is me. What a rough life I have. No. She walked around singing. That's why her name is Russ. She walked around singing. I am so happy I could be Jewish. Okay, I'm poor. Okay, big deal. I could have been a princess. Who cares? She lived a life of song. Such a person who even when you would say they're down on their luck and even when you would look at them and say, at best, people look at her like a second-class citizen, they might not even look at her like a second-class citizen, and she can walk around singing, such a person deserves that King David should come from her. She's a happy person. Even, by the way, when Nami tries to dissuade her from joining the Jewish people, you got to look at the answer she gives. Now, we didn't get nitty-gritty into the verse, but I'll give you one. So, Ruth says, in response to a question, so Ruth says, where you will go, I will go, which is referring to where a person can walk on Sabbath. She should have said, I won't go, I won't walk where I'm not allowed to walk. In the negative, that's not how you would say it. Instead, she says, where you go, I will go. So Rus looks at being Jewish as an opportunity, as a blessing, as good, not as a bunch of negatives, not as a bunch of rules and regulations, what I'm not allowed to do, not like she feels she's locked in jail. No. Rus sees the positive. She sees the good. She understands that keeping Torah is not a burden. It's an outlook on life, right? Or as Rasam Schroffel-Hirsch likes to explain— In reality, the question is always, where am I going? Where does the Torah want me to go? Where is the Torah? Where is God pointing me to? That is who Rus was. And here comes my music. So I hope you enjoyed it, short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all Wunderstands and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to my wonder production team. We have Alan in the back. I hope I have left with some food for thought. Until next time. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Toro on NRM Streamcast, and until next time, don't forget to think about it.